Welcome to this week's episode of Regent Rewind. It is the 16th of June 2020 and this is episode 5, which is going to be a bit different because we have a guest with us. So I'm going to introduce you quickly, Amelia, and then we're going to have a chat about all things digital marketing. So um, Amelia and I worked together uh, a few years ago and she was digital marketing assistant and then she rose through the ranks and continually um, humbled me, let's put it lightly, with her uh, digital marketing abilities. Um, so Amelia, um, just tell everyone like what you're up to now and just roughly, you know, how we work together. Um, so, hi, I'm Amelia. Uh, I'm an SEO executive at Broadstone uh, in London. And yeah, like Hamza said, we worked together at BBD and it was all fun and games. I think Hamza used to come up with the craziest ideas and I was the one that kind of brought them back down to reality. <laughs> um, but he did teach me a lot of my creative flair and drive and determination. So I kind of owe the marketer that I am today to Hamza really because yeah he helped shape me into what I am today. Oh, that's very sweet that's very kind <laughs> of you to say um I, I remember interviewing Amelia and like she was what are you 18 at the time right? Seven no yeah 18 18. <laughs> yeah she's she, 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 like, like a minor. <laughs> uh, she, was, she was 18 uh she just turned 18 a little while ago and in the interview I just remember like asking her questions and I was like you know what like evidently she's young and she won't know all the details but the passion is so incredible to see so we kind of like hired her after like two interviews and after the first one I was like I'm 99% sure that this is the person we need to go with and um like I, I you know I've worked with lots and lots of digital marketers um over the years and Amelia Costanzo is definitely one to, to keep your eye on because like, you know, I'll give you an example, right? I thought I had an amazing idea. Uh, this was back when we worked together at VBD and, you know, I was the digital marketing manager. So it was all things veterinary marketing. And I said to Amelia one day, Amelia, like, I've got an idea for an app where we can make a community of vet students. And Amelia was like, remember, you were like, no, yeah, that, that's pretty cool. And I was like, we'll call it because it's a tribe and it's vets. We'll call it Vet Tribe. <laughs> And Amelia, what, what did you uh, what did you say to that? What do you tell everyone? I, I think that that was a low point in both our careers. Yeah, it's so I, was like, I can't believe that's just come out of your mouth. But you know, we worked with it. We came up with a with an alternative name, but I don't think that ever came off the ground. No, no, it didn't. I think it was it was shelved. But uh, yeah, no. So um, today, um, Amelia was we were chatting like a few weeks ago, and she made a really interesting point, which I'd like to share with you all so I'm not gonna um steal your thunder or anything Amelia because I think it's a really strong point but as a segue everyone's crazy at the moment about voice so we've got you know you've got the Google Home you've got Amazon Alexa you've got Siri you've got Cortana or you've kind of got Cortana it's not very good but you know everyone's moving into search and search uh, voice SEO is kind of like hot topic at the moment so, Amelia, why don't you tell everyone how you identified one brand who you thought might have been suitable for search? <laughs> yeah, so this was one of my uh, creative hands at moments, I guess. Um, so I was just walking to Sainsbury's and it was actually after a conversation with uh, my colleague and my friend Nick. And he, we were supposed to have a meeting on SEO and he said, ha ha ha, I ran it and now our main um, search engine is Ask Jeeves. And I thought, 
Oh my good, I, c- I couldn't tell whether he was telling the truth or not, but I had a mini panic and then realised that they'd gone down the drain in 2005. Um, but I thought, no, do you know what? Something that they were probably way before their time. And I think, you know, I was looking at some stats and it, it's ridiculous how many households now, I think it's 55% of households are expected to have a voice search capability. Um, by I think it's 2022 and it it just shows how prominent voice search is at the moment um, so it's super convenient and I think Ask Jeeves had already personified themselves way before anybody else and I think that's the main thing in voice search is we like to talk to an Alexa or on a Google or you know a name kind of makes it seem less creepy like we're just talking to an inanimate object it's a bit of a weird concept so i think ask jeeves way ahead of their time and you know he was kind of a butler looking being kind of looked knowledgeable and their whole ethos was ask us a question and that is predominantly what you do with these speech devices and I just think, yeah, had they just been a bit more creative, instead of putting him to rest in 2005, they could have been a bit more creative with their forecast, with their five, 10 year forecast. And they could have beat the 2012 launch from Google of voice search. And they could have been well ahead of the game in 2010 with a brand new, you know, strategy, voice search. It could have been revolutionary, but unfortunately I just don't think they were creative enough. So. Yeah, rest in peace, Jeeves, I guess. <laughs> rest in peace, Jeeves. <laughs> I mean, you're right, because, like, it, it, it's an in-joke now, right? It's like, oh, you're ranking on Ask. Like, it's not... It's, it's a website, and I know it's owned by, like, a parent company, and it's still going, but you're, you're right. In, in 2010, so that was, like, a year before Apple showcased Siri for the first time, and, like, in the demo, you've got, like, um, what's his name, Scott Forstall, who was their exec, being, like, what's the weather like outside and it answered back and everyone in the crowd went whoa and like mm. that was the first time if and even then if they'd thought you know what this voice thing is going to be big let's build a device let's yeah. you know what let's even just make an app where you can ask the app anything you need and it just collects information from around the internet you know they don't need a massive knowledge base they can just send people to wikipedia and the like um mm. but but i mean amelia yourself like so you're like, uh, I guess, officially like a Gen Z, right? Yeah. Yeah. So like, you guys, you like, you guys use technology, and I say like, not you guys. Obviously, I think demographics, like at a, a linear level, are very, very similar. Like, you know, we'll both like put McDonald's when we're hungry. We'll both be annoyed if an advert interrupts our program, whatever. But on a tech level, you you've grown up with a lot of technology that I've had to learn to use. So, how often do you use voice, like, on a daily basis? I'm gonna be completely honest. I don't. I don't use voice. <laughs> <laughs> like I love the whole concept. I had an Alexa. I tried the Google Home. Um, I u- tried to use Siri, but for me, I think when it first came out and I was using it, it just wasn't refined enough. So I think I got scarred with that experience and just stopped using it. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm like a big advocate for it. I just <laughs> just don't use it. I guess I like optimizing for voice search. I like the whole, you know, scientific. What do you have to do to actually get your results shown on voice search? But 
I guess that's me being an SEO, but I don't, uh, yeah, I don't actually use it. <laughs> I mean, that that's fair enough. I mean, you know what? Like a lot of the time, technically, like we'll use a product or we'll, we'll advocate a service. But then, for example, like um, I, I think HubSpot, HubSpot's pretty good, right? Like because mm. I had an experience with it. We've got the demo done and everything. Personally, like in Regent, we don't use HubSpot. But if someone asks me about it, I'll be like, yeah, you know what? Yeah. They're pretty good. Like, you know, their marketing is, is a little bit overzealous, but they're pretty yeah. good. Um, so, like, in terms of voice and SEO then, like, do you feel a lot of SEOs are keeping their eye on voice search? Or do you think it's kind of like untapped territory? Because, like, I can't find, like, the A to Z guide of how to rank on voice search. Yeah, I think that's a good question. I think there are some it's like all or nothing i find it's some seos are all for voice search and they're kind of they think they know what's going on so they kind of drill it home a bit too much but i I think you hit the nail on the head i don't think there is an a to z out there and voice search i think is very much how seo was maybe 10 years ago where it's kind of like oh i'll try this and if it works we'll stick with it and if it doesn't then we'll scrap it so it's very much trial and error i think um the industry I work in I've not really found um a way to make it stick yet um but yes like I said I think it's very much trial and error and those who do think they have the answers for it I mean I'd go ahead and try what they have to say but I think the times that I've tried to implement it it's it's not really stuck but it's all relative I think isn't it to the industry I mean I work in pensions so (laughs) I'm not like my target audience are HR financial directors I'm not sure that they're just like asking their Alexa uh, how to shape their employee benefit strategy but you know in more of an agency or b2c type area I think if you just try what people are telling you then it could stick or or if it doesn't then just get creative I guess yeah, you know what, that's a really, really good point because, and, and this is something that digital marketers, like myself included, have um, like a weakness for, which is like the shiny new object. So mm-hmm. you, you've just mentioned how your your target persona probably wouldn't use voice. And to be honest, like you're right, I can't imagine them asking their Google Home about their, their pension strategy. And I can't even imagine a customer like walking up to a Google Home and being like, how much is in my pension pot like you know maybe like one out of a thousand times but it's just it's not a general question because I guess they're like a bit of a public device in the home so because you know you you can hear it across your living room maybe you don't want like the entire house to hear how much you've got in your pension (laughs) pot um but I mean in terms of and this is this is like a little bit like of a contentious topic right the whole privacy debate around voice so like yeah so like you know on one side I guess our devices are always listening and we've accepted it and you know most people have nothing harmful really to to say that's going to get them get them in trouble but then on the other side what do you say to people who say hey i don't want this device in my house constantly listening even though they technically aren't but they, i don't want this device in my house constantly listening and um, you know spying on me because i think that this information is being sold to third parties like how would you approach that debate so my boyfriend actually is way against them. He's right. like, so we had the conversation the other day. It was, my grandma loves her Alexa. She absolutely loves it. She, she lives on her own. So it's kind of like a, a, friend, a friend for her. That's, yeah. <laughs> she's going to kill me for saying that. Um, but 
So I said to my boyfriend, oh, let's get one, you know, let's try it again. You can get all these smart plugs and whatever. He was like, absolutely not. I don't want it. He's like, I've only just got my head around the fact that my phone listens to me. He's like, I just don't want it. And I think there is that privacy thing where you see all these hacks that you can do on the Alexa and stuff and it I think an element of it is scary but I think when people say listening there's not someone sat at the end of the Alexa with headphones and listening to your conversations <laughs> I'm not sure it's 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 that sort of listening it's more listening in terms of relevance and keyword I, I'm not sure I, I think yeah it's a bit of an intrusive concept but it's not as as literal as people think. Um, so I think when they say listening, yeah, it's like the whole oh, I've got a one-on-one with my listener at Amazon now. No, it's not. It's not like that. It's it, it's a scary concept, but you know, it is what it is. I think if you you open yourself up to that sort of thing, if you do have these, and you know, they're massive conglomerates. Of course, they're going to be listening to you if they have the opportunity to. Mm. I mean. Cambridge Analytica 2.0 coming soon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I think, yeah, I, I quite weirdly so. I quite like the thought of being listened to. I think from a marketing okay. perspective, I think it's kind of like how clever can we get? How insightful can we get with our advertising? It's like when people talk about a certain subject and then it pops up on their Facebook feed. They're like, oh my goodness, I'm being listened to. And the time it would take to actually divulge your conversation, pick out the keywords and then relay that in an advert actually would take way too much manpower. So actually it's more likely our subconscious actions that are relaying that sort of behavior. So just at the right time or when you're around the right people in the right area, that advert shows up and you think, you're being listened to i think it's quite clever how how that happens i guess yeah you know you know what you, you make a really good point there because i've had a lot of really fiery debates with like friends and family who are like you know what like i said that i have a headache and then i saw a, an advert for some headache relief medicine tablet on my facebook and um they, they were convinced that yeah I'm, I'm being listened to and i said well it's like one of two things right firstly yeah, you are being listened to, but don't think it's like, you know, Bert at Facebook who like listened to yeah. the conversation and typed in the thing. Like, because the thing is, like, you, at that scale, you'd need deep machine learning. You'd need like yeah. AI to understand the intent behind it. Because, for example, you could be like, oh, like, you know, I've got to do this project. It's such a headache, you know. Yeah. A, but you've got to understand that there's so many people saying stuff, getting a person to pick through it, you're right, would take far too long. So it's probably. Um, you know, machine AI and, you know, sort of very advanced algorithms that are picking out words. But then, you know, it, it's equally as likely that when you have over a billion people's behavioral patterns on your platform, mm. you can sense patterns. So, you know, for example, um, if they know that, and this is like a real, like, you know, bland example, but if they know that someone went to a concert and out of the data they have of a million concerts that people have gone to, they know that afterwards, this is the behavior. They, they might mm. need, uh, you know, headache relief. They might need some paracetamol or something because their ears are ringing or they yeah. might, yeah, so, or they might buy a certain product which is, you know, sponsored at the concert. So behaviorally, I think, is it's basically predicting behavior based on like mass demographics. And we like to think we're unique, but 
I think we're more similar than we'd like to admit. Like I literally had this conversation the other day with Steve and we sat on the on the grass having a picnic and he said, do you think you're the only person in the whole entire world to dip that falafel in that? All right. And I was like, that's a really good question. Probably not, no. And then we had some other sources. And I was like, oh, I might be the first person in the world to dip an M&S falafel in some salsa and and we were having this conversation i said like if you think about the scale of the whole entire world seven billion people no i'm probably not and that's i think that's the same concept that you have to apply here is for one of you there are probably a million others that are doing the same thing experiencing the same things at the same point in the day so i think yeah i think that really is a good point that you made is we're we're more alike than we we like to think we're not as unique (laughs) as we want to be yeah i mean i guess maybe in like our own special ways because you know everyone's got their little quirks and stuff which is what makes us form friendships and you know like um become uh really really close friends and get married to each other like you know there are things that that click but at a level like you know if you if if a million people stub their toe i can guarantee 80 percent of them will come out with a four-letter word like that's yeah. <laughs> fact you know um but then like staying on the concept of like you know social media and and the sort of intrusive element there's been a lot of talk in the states of uh, breaking up facebook so they're saying you know your empires you've got whatsapp you've got instagram you've got the entire facebook empire you've got messenger of course like so what what do you think about governmental action in potentially breaking up the facebook empire which for marketers i guess would make it more difficult but then i guess they're looking at it from a privacy and power standpoint because I think they're like between them and Google they own more than 50% of all advertising revenue Mm. so what do you think I think I guess the question that first comes to mind is would you rather have three separate companies dealing with your data in three separate ways or would you rather have it all under one roof for me personally it sits better with me knowing that yeah it's a bit dodgy but at least facebook they're all under one roof and all my data is going to the same place and i know that if i dig deep enough i can find where my data is being distributed i think three separate entities means that i've got three times the work to do if i really wanted to find that information out i mean they'd probably be similar but three separate entities and then all with three separate privacy policies you know it's the work then yeah okay google and facebook own 50 percent of advertising revenue but is that is that really their fault Mm. i mean i i see where you're coming from but then um playing and i I kind of i do like on a level agree with you because i'm a digital marketer but then playing devil's advocate um you know what if someone said well between google and facebook the behavior that they displayed in getting to where they are was so aggressive that even if you did have a little competitor they would have either forcibly bought you or stamped on you and just like totally destroyed any semblance of your existence i mean do you think there's a there's a, a certain level of aggression that's uh, acceptable in business or do you think that um they should just go all out and get growth at whatever cost um i think Oh, I don't, I don't know. I'm not sure. I think, um, I think obviously, I think strategically, maybe they've done it at the right point that may have come across aggressive. 
and whatever they like you get to a certain point and you're kind of in a comfortable position well more than comfortable position so when you start making your billions <laughs> so you're in that sort of range and you're kind of like okay we don't really need anything else nothing else is gonna the only thing that can make facebook and google better would be to merge them together so they don't really need more than they've already got so i yeah. think if they if they start wiping out the smaller competitors and you know or acquiring them it just kind of takes away from the whole creative side of digital so i think yeah there is a limit on that sort of aggression mm. they're probably at that limit but i think to get to that point you do have to have a certain level of aggression yeah i think you know what that so i think in the growth period you do need to be quite aggressive like you need to understand if it, it's very um like darwinian type environment where yeah. you either it will or be eaten right um yeah and you've got like apps like for example trello uh you know i think atlassian bought them for like 400 million dollars or something crazy like that and to me i was like oh wow it's like it's a i love trello i love using it every single day but it seems so simple right like what is it worth yeah. 400 million and i guess it's because they were so aggressive and ambitious and growing it was the data that really their atlassian bought because they were like well you've got like millions of customers they really like your product why don't they like the stuff that we're doing so let's yeah. just like acquire you um so i guess that's that's a good point to be honest but then and I, i guess as well the mentality of of startups now is it for them to become the next big thing or is it for them to build to be bought by the big mm-hmm. thing i feel like that that's kind of that like startup mentality where it's kind of like oh we're going to be the next big thing is kind of been tarnished because you're working towards being bought out for 400 million pounds instead of building an empire of 400 million pounds that that's a very good point and then so this is like moves really nicely into like the next topic that I'd like your opinion on so you've got founders like um Whitney Wolf who founded Bumble after she sued Tinder so I, I think you know the, the stories that her and a colleague started Tinder and she sued them for sexual harassment um and inappropriate behavior and then she went and started Bumble and I think Match Group have tried to acquire them a couple of times and obviously she said no I want to mm. build my own thing now um I'm always very interested when um you know there there are smaller competitors that are doing really really well compared to like massive goliaths but what i'm more interested in here is that this is a really strong focused driven ambitious female entrepreneur so i can't really make a a, a solid judgment on this because i'm not a woman in digital marketing but as a woman in digital marketing how do you feel the landscape is and do you think that it's skewed and it needs to be improved um So when I first started working I worked for an agency and I worked with three guys. I then moved to VBD <laughs> and I worked with you, a guy. Yeah. <laughs> and then I moved to Broadstone and I now work with three guys again. So I've in my 5 year career I think or 6 year, can't remember how long I've worked now. Um I have been the only girl female in my team at all times. I mean my team extends now into business development so you know I've got a few more females around me um but as a marketing function I've only ever worked with men um do I think there's a presence of women in digital marketing yes um 
would I say it is as rife as men? No. Um, just my personal experience as well. Not only working in the team, I think as well, the people that are very vocal in the industry. I mean, you've got the likes of Gary V, Neil Patel, you know, all these different people. Um, for five big talkers in digital marketing, there's, they're all men. There's probably one woman. Um, I don't know of many women digital marketers, but I think as well, I think I've been reflecting a lot recently um, with Black Lives Matter. And I think it extends further than just women. I think it extends to women of colour, men of colour as well. Um, because I can count on one hand the time that I have personally dealt with someone in digital marketing who is black. Um, and I think that's a really disappointing thing to say. Mm. Um, I, I just think we can do better as an industry. Um, why haven't I? I? I don't know the answers and I, I'm doing research into it. I work with a, a group called Diversity in Pensions um, and we are doing a big research project on um, the diversification statistics within the pensions industries and looking at those within the different areas. So marketing will fall under commercial. But, you know, it's a, it's been a real reflection of how women are presented within the digital marketing industry I've had a lot of times where I've gone into a meeting and they either thought I was the assistant or they thought I was just there to like just do more when I say that I'm an SEO they're like oh right you, so you actually know about this stuff and I'm like well yes I know about this stuff like it it's not I guess there's not a lot of well I don't know I don't know the statistics but Another conversation that I had with Andre, my manager, was when he worked in his agency, they had two or three girls in the office. And, you know, it, it, it's shocking because you think, oh, marketing, like, typically, I would say, like, oh, I'd, I'd expect there to be more women in there. But as soon as you get into the digital space, they kind of just all evaporate. <laughs> yeah. And that's really, really, like, you know, some of the most talented marketers I know, yourself included, are are women, and you've come up with right in front of my eyes like amazing strategies, like in, in client meetings and stuff. So then I'm always left wondering, like, is there some invisible barrier that I have not focused on enough, or you know, reflected upon that women are are facing? So so when you stepped into digital marketing, Amelia, like, were you like actively encouraged into it? Did you find that? there were barriers in place like did someone try to deter you off the path or was it a pretty much straight step in so <laughs> um my first job wasn't the best um essentially I was a really keen so I left school didn't want to go to university thought I need a job and I want to get a qualification alongside it but I definitely want to work so I was on three pound fifty an hour working full-time also okay. working at John Lewis at the weekend so I was working two jobs six days a week um and yeah so it got to the point where the office banter kind of turned into offensive like slants towards me and I kind of just brushed it off because I was like oh it's my first job you know you just got to get used to it 
Um, and one day, one of them turned around to me and said, you're just a glorified secretary. Bloody hell, really? Um, really? Yeah. And that was kind of like the final straw for me. So I li- it was very unprofessional. But I literally refused to do any of my marketing work for the rest of the day. Luckily, it was only half three, so I, <laughs> an hour and a half. <laughs> I was out there. And I just, and then they asked me, why aren't you doing any work? And I said, well, I'm a glorified secretary, aren't I? I'm just waiting for the phone to ring. Um, and then they kind of made a bit of a hoo-ha about it, you know, called me some names and I just packed up and I walked out of the office half an hour early and never stepped up in there my, again. <laughs> my days. My, yeah. well, you know, I'm really sorry to hear that. I know we've, we've spoken about this um, in the past and obviously we can't, um, we can't like name and employees or anything. We can't disclose, <laughs> but we don't know who they are. So, you know, I'm, I'm happy to send this podcast to their MD um, <laughs> to be like, you know, uh, she, she's doing, she's doing really well, to be honest. Um, so I think experiences like that are actually like, I think that's just one little, so that that's a splinter. And I think it's much, much larger. Like, I think mm-hmm. that experience happens times like 10,000 to yeah. different women across the world in digital marketing and I think even if it's not as as horrendous as what what you just said even those slants even those little in jokes that you can't quite prove were directed at you or sexist or racist um it's those that are like you know that implicit discrimination yeah where it's yeah. like and it's like oh you know just take a joke it's just banter that to it's me not. it's never it's not and it and, and it completely needs to stop and people need to be called out for it and what I want to see more of is men calling each other out and saying that's unacceptable mm-hmm. and I'm I'm lucky now because like I can I can tell clients or people in the company if something they said was unacceptable so as an example again won't name the client but they made a comment about a female developer uh, about her competency and you know we nearly dropped the client I was like mm-hmm. you, you, need, you need to apologize or um, you know, we're not going to renew the contract at the end of the term because it's unacceptable. And they apologised, and they're great now. And they, I, the guy understood he was in the wrong. And he, it was a genuine apology, which was fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, it needs to, it needs to stop. And um, I, I think you know, you are a great example of someone who's seen that and you know, really triumphed above it. Um, but you know, again, not every not every story ends in a success, which is no. what bothers me. So yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it, it's, uh, it's it's the, there are probably all sorts of worrying statistics out there if we look into it. But thank you for sharing like your personal experience as well about sort of being a woman in digital marketing. And you know, I'm glad to see that things are are improving. You know, sort mm-hmm. of you're at a much sort of uh, more reputable and uh, balanced company now, and your team yeah, seems definitely. great. Um, so yeah. Um, and you know what? You mentioned uh, working at John Lewis. So. What we'll do is we'll, we'll finish off with like a funny story and then I'm going to ask you a question and you don't know what that question is yet. So I just want to put you on the spot and see what happens. Just for old um, So the funny story is Amelia and I worked in John Lewis at the same time and we didn't know each other back then. But back then in John Lewis, there were these things called partnership cards. They were like John Lewis's credit card, right? You had to sign up as many customers as possible. Uh, there wasn't a commission, but it was like a, a target for the entire floor, right? So I was like really good at these, right? And every single day I'd go to the manager and be like, I've done four, you know, I've hit target and everything. And they'd say, good job. That That's really, really good. Um, but they'd say, you know, there's this there's this girl across the way in, in furniture and glass or something. She sold five. 
And I'm like, how does she sell five? Like, what the hell? So the next day I'd sell five and then it's like, yeah, she sold six today. And I was like, who is this mystery girl? And it turns out it was you. <laughs> we found that out, didn't we? When we yeah. were just talking in the, in the office and I was like, yeah, I used to be the best at selling partnership cards. And it sort of started this rivalry again. But, you know, it was, <laughs> I guess it was the start of our, of a very healthy working relationship, wasn't it, Hamza? No, <laughs> well, yeah, you beating me on a on a daily basis. Yes, was, uh... Not literally beating. No, no, just for the yeah, competitively not... beating. Competitively and commercially beating me, and uh, many times creatively. And and that brings me on to, to the last question. So, what is? Don't worry, it's not an awkward question or anything. Um, we've worked together for what is it, like two years. What was the worst thing about working with? You? Oh god. <laughs> okay, so the worst thing about working with you. So Hamza used to have these little like quiet moods. Um he he would say that nothing was wrong. He would <laughs> he would act like everything's fine, but he just would not speak. He would not speak for hours on end until lunchtime when I offered him a KFC and then he'd take the offer. And then he'd be okay through lunchtime and then he'd get back to his desk and say, oh, I'm just really busy, I need to work. <laughs> and then again, wouldn't speak. And these times, these really frustrate me because I'm, I'm not a quiet person. If I've got something to say, I'll just say it. Um, obviously, professionally. Um, mm. But yeah, I, was, I just couldn't get my head around it. I was like, why are you so quiet? Why am I getting the silent treatment? <laughs> um, but yeah, that was the most annoying thing for me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think yeah you, you were so energetic in the office and sort of bouncing around your chair and you, you know you have that energy that's like electric so I think when I used to be like super quiet or like stressed or something or whatever upset or whatever I used to think okay so like I don't want to like start bringing down the mood but then I used to do it anyway because you used to be like what's wrong let's get KFC let's get McDonald's <laughs> like so um no but it's something that I'm working on so um thank you for sharing that with the entire world <laughs> yeah. Sorry. no I'm joking um no, to be honest it's, it's something that I, I need to work on as well but I'm glad it wasn't anything worse I mean you know being a bit quiet I thought it was going to be something absolutely horrendous that you're going to say but um that wasn't that wasn't too bad um Okay, so that brings us to the end of the podcast. Amelia, thank you so, so much for your time and your insights as well. I really appreciate it. No worries. Thanks for having me. No, no, an absolute pleasure. So this is Regent Rewind and tune in later on this week for a weekly update. Everyone stay safe and I look forward to hearing from you soon. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.